Chapter 1 The little man in the buggy shook the reins with determination and encouraged the horse on in the same high-pitched voice he had used to call out to everyone he passed. Though they could hardly see the man through the driving rain, many of the people wading through water on the beach road recognized him, since not too many men in Galveston wore a white suit every day of the year, in every climate, with a top button of a stiff collar pinched tight at the neck and a wide-brimmed Panama hat. Many men wore mustaches, but they were usually coarse, unkempt affairs. Not too many wore close-cropped whiskers, the color of salt and pepper, and trimmed to perfection each morning with a tiny pair of scissors, ordered all the way from a shop in New York City. The people who recognized him were no more surprised to see him driving a buggy toward a storm than they would have been to see a rooster crowing or a seagull darting down to snatch a fish out of the gulf. For this little man was Isaac Klein, and the weather was as much a part of his being as were his hands and his head and his heart. The people in the road who didn't know him waved back as he passed and leaned forward in the stinging rain to listen to his admonitions. Some of those who did know him called out to him that it was raining too hard, and they pointed to the heavens, as if, because Isaac knew the weather like a preacher knew the Bible and studied it as closely as a mother listened to the heartbeat of a sick child, he might possibly have some control over it. I've never seen the waves so high, one man told him as he grasped the side of Isaac's still rocking buggy and shook rainwater from his face and hat. His wife and two small children stood beside him, as soaked as he was. How much higher you figure they'll get? Isaac shook his own head now. High enough to make you people go on home, I hope, he said. Drops of rain nestled and shone in his mustache like small, perfect eggs in a bird's nest. He tilted a thumb toward the huge waves that thundered onto the beach. They ought to be that high already. He leaned toward the family now and let his gaze rest on the children, shivering close to their mother. The child has already been swept out over by Murdoch's pier. A piece of lumber hit her in the head and knocked her down, and a wave just came and got her. And that's a fact. The horse shook his head as if to confirm it. The mother held the children closer to her and looked first at the big waves and then at her husband, who had more than likely suggested the outing, Isaac thought. The man looked at the waves, too. We just wanted to see it he said, as much to himself as to Isaac. i never seen it like this, and... He didn't add that he had lived here all of his life, since almost everyone on Galveston had lived here all their lives. The man was still thinking about the child that had been swept away and didn't speak again. Isaac lifted the reins. Go on home, he said, loud enough to be heard over the rain and the waves, and tell everybody else you see to do the same thing. If your house is close to the beach then get yourselves to higher ground at the center of the island and don't take any long time about doing it. The man watched the rain pouring off the brim of Isaac's hat. His wife had taken a step closer to him, away from the heaving great gulf, and clutched the two small children hard enough to hurt them. Thunder cracked in the low thick clouds and rolled along mournfully for a long moment, spending itself completely before dying away. It will get considerably worse before it gets any better, Isaac told them. And that child won't be the last to die today, would be my guess. He didn't wait for them to say anything, but clicked at the horse and went on to tell everybody else he saw the same thing. Many of Galveston's people were still out, milling around in the hard rain and rising water, not wanting to miss a bit of something that didn't happen every day. 
The waves big enough to knock down big buildings built out of piers fell pretty easily into that category. Isaac chided those that paid any attention to him and pointed his small hand toward the center of the island and called out to the horse when he wasn't calling out to people. The buggy pushed on through water that was deep enough to cause a wake, and Isaac's white suit and hat shone out through the pelting downpour like a particularly bright rock at the bottom of a murky pond. When he had covered several times the part of the beach road that he could get to, he jerked the horse's reins toward town and drove him on. The buggy's tall wheels threw water up into the yards of the small houses it passed, and sometimes even on the housewives sitting on the covered porches, watching their barefooted children splashing in the deep pools standing at the edge of the streets. Several children had fashioned miniature boats out of whatever material had been at hand. They pushed them along in front of them and were glad of the little waves sent up by the buggy. At every third or fourth house, Isaac slowed the horse to a trot, or stopped him altogether, and told whoever was on the porch to gather up their children and start walking up toward town and to find a brick building to get in. He tried to call out in a voice loud enough for several households to hear him, but his high-pitched efforts didn't carry too well in the current conditions. You can't stay here, he yelled while the buggy bounced under him. You're too close to the beach. You've got to find a good building to get into before this water gets any higher. One of the women on the porch leaned forward in her chair and stopped fanning herself with a folded paper she was holding. She almost smiled. It ain't even up in the yard good yet. She sang out at him and pointed with the paper to show him. This guy right smart of a hot Porsche to come up afore it gets in any house. Isaac watched her children as they giggled and splashed by the road and thought again of the little girl who'd been swept away so quickly a little while ago. Her father who should have been holding on to her, had still been watching the wind peel away a large section of the pagoda bathhouse when the child disappeared in the brown water. The man and several others had darted out toward the surf, but it was useless. Isaac stayed only long enough to see that everything was being done that could be, and then resumed his Paul Revere imitation. It'll come up it, Isaac told the woman, and then it will fill up the house, I imagine. That is, if there's any house left after the wind we're likely to get here in a little while. He pointed toward the center of the island and looked from one porch to another. Believe me now, he begged them, and don't take the chance of this not being as bad as I figured it might get. Go on toward higher ground while you can still get there. He knew that the husbands of the houses were already in town, or at the wharves, or the warehouses, at work. He moved on, stopping several more times to deliver the same warning and advice. The rain still barreled as straight down as if it had been plumbed to do it and exploded into the slowly rising water. Isaac knew that soon, when the water lapped up high enough to make everyone realize what was happening, people out too close to the beach would start moving toward a better place to be. But by then, the going would be harder, especially for those families with small children, who by that time would have used up all the fun of the experience and would have started crying and wanting to be held. And almost all of the families had children that small, Isaac knew, and older ones too, since most of the families produced children with the industry and regularity that farmers grew crops. Isaac didn't even bother to shake the water off now. He was soaked through, and was sitting in an inch or two of rain that had accumulated in the depression of the buggy seat. His own children, three daughters, were at home now with his wife, in a house no further away from the beach than these were that he was passing. Cora May was pregnant again, 
maybe a son this time, he thought, for the thousandth time, and there had been complications with this one. So he had chosen not to try to move her that morning, but to put his faith and hope in the large two-story frame house that was sturdier than most since Isaac had designed it himself and supervised its construction, making sure it was not only sound but raised up high enough to allow average overflows to move beneath it. He clicked at the horse and balanced the soggy leather reins in his hands. He just pointed now at the people he still passed who were heading out to the beach to see the waves, indicating that they would do better to turn around and go back in the direction they had come from. On Market Street, he brought the little rig to a stop outside the Levy building, then took the steep steps up to the fourth floor two at a time. How often are you telegraphing reports to Washington? He asked as his brother Joseph handed him a copy of the latest one. Every two hours. But with the wind already rising, who knows how long it'll be before the lines blow down. He looked at his brother. Why don't you change it into something dry? He knew that Isaac kept a change of clothes in his office. A white suit, of course. A fresh collar as stiff as planking. Isaac wiped the moisture from his glasses and read the report. Unusually heavy swells from the southeast, intervals one to five minutes. Overflowing low places south portion of city three to four blocks from beach. Such high water with opposing winds never observed previously. He laid the paper on the desk. When we lose that north wind, his voice trailed away as he considered that certainty. As he looked at the chart laid out on the table before him, the water on his clothes dripped on it. The thing's not even here yet, and it's pushing the gulf up all over us. I hate to think how high it's finally going to get. The day before, after Isaac had sent the two warning flags up the short pole into a perfect Friday morning, the telephone started ringing. He let Joseph man it. Joseph was his chief assistant, and the best assistance he could give him then was to answer the same question with the same answer every time the bell jingled. Joseph told every caller that, yes, that was indeed the storm flag, and he was aware that it was a pretty morning, but that the latest advisory from Washington had said that it wasn't likely to stay pretty for long. He nodded his head and tapped a pencil on the desk and said to just use caution and to get to high ground if they were down by the beach if the weather turned ugly. Don't be fooled by the sunshine, he told the callers, since that could change quick enough. Most of the callers had posed one last question, and it always stopped Joseph. It's not a bad idea, he finally said to each one, but we're not ready to say it's a necessity. After one of the calls, he dropped the heavy receiver into its cradle, ran his thumb around the rim of the mouthpiece, and told his brother he wished he could give a better answer. I wish he could too, Isaac said as he looked again at the map where he had attempted to plot the progression of the storm, with the scant information he had been given. I wish I knew where the damn thing is, too, and where it will come ashore. And I wish the city aldermen had risen above their bickering and politics for once and built a seawall. Then he looked up from the map to his brother. And I wish Cora May would have steak and champagne on the table every day for our dinner. Then he looked out one of the tall, wide windows of the Weather Bureau office at the bright September morning. Wagons and buggies clattered through the intersection of Market and 23rd Streets, the horses pulling them clopping along the uneven wooden blocks of the pavement. The deep bellow of a steamship announced its imminent departure from what was, in this first year of the new century, one of the busiest ports in the world. Scraps of conversations filtered up to him, 
and a few shouts from children. A couple of seagulls sang out, and the two warning flags popped in the breeze not very far above him. Most of Galveston's people on the streets below him were wearing hats, the brims wide, as protection from the relentless sun. The hats floated along on the mass of people, like small, bobbing boats on the sea. Some of the ladies sported parasols and twirled them beside the hats. An automobile, one of three on the island, sputtered across an intersection a couple of blocks away. How can we tell people to leave the island? He said, knowing that it was the question that Joseph had been asked. When we just don't know. He took off his small spectacles and rubbed his eyes. We just don't know. Now it was 24 hours later, and they did know. The one long bridge that connected Galveston to the mainland was a narrow one, running along beside the single railroad trestle. It was reputed to be the longest wooden bridge in the world, and the islanders were proud of that. But neither the bridge nor the trestle, Isaac knew, were built high enough over the bay to be of much use for very long in a storm like this one, and the boats that ferried people across the boulevard roads would have already shut down their operations. The western end of the Long Island was underwater by now, he knew, and he hoped that the few people who bothered to live out there at all, on the low, scruffy ridges among the swamps and salt grass, had already come into town. Isaac had wondered many times what Galveston must look like from high overhead, to a bird sailing in wide, slow circles so high up that he was barely a speck to someone on the ground. On a pretty day, and cloudless, a bird gliding that high up would see a long, narrow island hugging herself close enough to the mainland to be able to claim rights to it, but far enough removed to maintain her independence. From her southwestern tip, at San Luis Pass, to her northeastern, where ships from all over the world sailed into and out of the boulevard roads, was a distance of just over twenty miles. From the air, she would resemble an awkward creature trying to take flight, her head wider and heavier than the rest of her, making an effort to lift all of her up and away, the long, slender body lagging behind. The side of her short wings, straining to pull her up, was the pointed jet of land above Offutt's bayou, and most of the rest of her was sand and salt grass, the curving beach separated from the flats and marshes by sand dunes, odd-shaped structures born of wind and tide. Only toward the head of the creature had much civilization taken hold, as if the town had grown out of the thing's brain and been blown back over its body by the wind accompanying its ascent. If a bird dipped lower, over the town, it would see, on a clear day, the precise parallel streets laid out in a north-south grid. The buildings of the business district, ornate and sturdy, would look, from up high, as much a natural part of the place as the dunes and the beach. The busy harbor, beside Avenue A, would be full of ships, big and small, some giving off clouds of steam, some relying on the most ancient of engines, standing tall and naked above them. At the center of the island there would be trees, palms and oaks and pecans and oleander everywhere. Churches and houses would point up out of the trees, and some of the houses, gigantic and splendid, would be bigger than some of the churches. Standing at the window, Isaac watched the rain falling hard and steady outside and looked up at the low, slate-colored mass of clouds that had settled over the city. One day, he said, almost to himself, we'll surely have a way to get up above everything and look down into such a storm as this one and see what it's doing. 
He looked at his chart again, and at the row of colored pins in it, and where it's going. He thought of Galveston's people, out on the beach road and in the lowest streets of the city, that he had spent most of the morning calling out warnings to, and that he would go back out now to yell at again. He looked at Joseph, and listened to yet another deep, slow peal of thunder move slowly through the clouds. The thin panes of the tall windows shuddered in their frames. But not today, he said.